are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well as we've neared the midpoint of the week. Lance, how are you doing today, man? It's been a really productive day so far, Noah. How are you doing? Every day you come in here talking about productivity. Every day it's like, man, I've been really productive today. That's what I'm just I'm just happy that there are things to actually get done. Sometimes there are some days where it's just like I just sit there and you just stare at the wall, you know? I don't have those days. It's very rare, but every <laughs> every every day should be a productive day, and today was. So Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to On the Line. Once again, 334-321-1390. Find us on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Daw Pound. Also, you can watch the show on Facebook on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. I encourage you to go check it out. If you ever miss a show, they're also archived there. So if you're on Facebook and you ever missed a show, that's one way that you can go and check out the podcast. Also, you can check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Not a whole lot of news going on this week as opposed to last week. Towards the end of the week, there started to be a little bit of a news cycle going on, but we've gotten to the midway point of this week. Not a whole lot of news other than the SEC Big 12 Challenge dropped. We know all the matchups for this upcoming 2021-2022 SEC Big 12 Challenge on the basketball floor. Auburn taking on Oklahoma, Alabama taking on Baylor, among many other matchups. What do you think about these? I'm really excited about some of these matchups and the SEC Big 12 Challenge. I love it whenever conferences and basketball actually get to- together and play each other like all together. It's something that I wish football would do as I'd like to see an SEC Big Ten challenge because you run down the list. It's like there are not a lot of Big Ten teams that could square up ev- evenly uh, it, it, or it, w- it wouldn't be fair against the SEC looking at some of these games Baylor at Alabama I think that one's going to be a lot of fun Alabama bringing in a really solid recruiting class Baylor coming off that national title obviously but they're losing a lot of key pieces that really made that national title team what it was West Virginia at Arkansas that's a really fun matchup the Razorbacks are bringing in I believe they're bringing in a few more transfers it's similar to what they did last year West Virginia is always going to be really good under Bob Huggins Oklahoma at Auburn personally I think this game is not going to be close. After hearing what Christian Clemente had to say, I am just on cloud nine as far as this program goes. I Every single game is is looking like it favors Auburn to me in my mind. I've got the orange <laughs> and blue glasses on right now, and there's nothing stopping it. That game should be a lot of fun, at least for Auburn. Oklahoma State at Florida, that's another really good matchup. You go down the list, there's a lot of – it's just fun. They, they've matched these teams up well in my mind. This year, certainly – other years, I've been a little confused with some of the matchups, but of course, Kentucky-Kansas is a yearly staple. My question to you is, would you like to see that broken up? Would you like to see someone else in the SEC get a shot at Kansas, or are you okay with seeing 
Kentucky and Kansas play every year. Didn't Tennessee get a shot at Kansas a year or so ago? I might be wrong on that. You're but, right on that. But that wasn't a non or that wasn't in Big Twelve uh, SEC Big Twelve challenge, was it? It was just a non conference game, right? I can't remember, but uh, that sounds correct. I w- I'm I'm with you. I'd like to see other teams rotate around and g- actually get a shot at Kansas. Not teams like Vanderbilt or Mississippi State, but I'd like to see the the cream of the crop, the the SEC talents actually get get a shot at playing Kansas, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida. I, I, obviously, Kentucky's getting to play them every year, but yes, I would like to see them rotate it out. I think it would make it a lot more fun. But again, they've scheduled these to where the the, the matchups are even. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think that there are four or five teams in the SEC that could probably fare better than Kentucky could on the road at least this season Baylor at Alabama West Virginia at Arkansas Oklahoma at Auburn Oklahoma State at Florida Kentucky at Kansas LSU at TCU Kansas State at Ole Miss Mississippi State at Texas Tech Missouri at Iowa State and Tennessee at Texas all intriguing matchups your favorite matchup on that list Mm, as I obviously, as an Auburn fan, I'd love to see Auburn dominate whoever they're playing from another Power Six conference, but I think it's got to be Baylor at Alabama. I think it's got to be Baylor at Alabama. I think that game's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be really, really close. I think Baylor, the West Virginia Arkansas game, LSU at TCU should be fun as well. Tennessee at Texas should be a lot of fun. That's the one that I'm looking at. I think, yeah, that that matchup. There's a, there are a lot there are a lot of games on here again, evenly match up. They're just going to be fun, and I wish football would do this more often. And they're starting to do it a little bit more. And you see these team these powerhouse teams in the SEC scheduling way down the road. Teams like Alabama playing Ohio State, but I'd like to see them do interconference stuff like this because, goodness gracious, it's going to be all, very very hype. It'll probably never happen in football, and for the reason is. You're not gonna. You have less non-conference games, first of all, in football, and each loss is magnified a little bit more in football than it is in basketball. So it's easier to get every SEC team on board and every Big Twelve team on board with saying, "Hey, you're going to play another SEC team every year." Mm-hmm. It's easier to get that on board for basketball than it is for football. Nobody wants to take that L. I understand why, I and I think that why. goes both ways. That's not just me saying that. Oh, they're playing an SEC team. They're going to lose for sure. You know, well, you take Vanderbilt doesn't want to go and take an L right. to Kansas State or someone else. Granted, they did beat Kansas State a couple years ago, so not the best example. But Vanderbilt and some other teams don't want to be put into a tough non-conference game like that necessarily every year that they have no control over. Where the conferences choose it, you'd rather be you'd rather be choosing that. Also, on top of this, they schedule these games out. 10 years in advance now Mm -hmm. so there's no way to really fit it in we won't see this in football basketball love it it's a fun thing to do Tennessee and Texas is that matchup that I was looking at that is one of the most intriguing for me Rick Barnes obviously we've seen what he's done at Tennessee and building the program to be a contender in the Southeastern Conference every year but also somewhat on the national stage if they could get past a sweet 16 but you look at Texas Texas now with Chris Beard can they finally get over the hump that Shaka Smart could never seemingly clear despite how good Texas has been a couple of these years under Shaka Smart especially last season where they were what a three seed or a four seed they still couldn't clear that bar and they get beat by Abilene Christian right right and we've talked about in the past just like Texas's track record in all of the major sports is they always get there and then they just fall apart it's very similar to Tennessee Actually, hey, look, we're getting Tennessee, Texas in the uh, in Omaha, and we're going to get it on to the market. To be fair, Texas baseball 
they have a track record of success. Now, football and basketball, on the other hand, they have hired some high-profile coaches on both fronts, and they have failed over and over again. And you're like, man, these guys are shoe-ins to be successful. We all thought Shaka Smart was going to be extremely successful. He was just above average. Mm -hmm. You look on the football side, we all thought Tom Herman would be extremely successful. What happened? He was just average. I don't know what's going on in Austin, but at some point, I think, and, and Levi and I said this several months ago, at some point, you have to look at yourself and you have to you have to look at yourself and say, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe it's not the coaches. Yep. So I'm looking at a preseason top 25 that USA Today put out literally just a month ago. Auburn is nowhere to be found. What a shame. But Tennessee is sitting at number 23, and then they have Texas at number 15. So if if things go as expected, this could probably be a t- a, a, a middle a middle of the pack to to lower top 25 matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. You've got a couple of top 25 matchups in here. Kentucky Kansas ought to have two teams ranked assuming that Kentucky is not a bottom feeder again this year, but I highly doubt that they will be. You got two ranked teams there probably Tennessee Texas will be ranked, I think. West Virginia Arkansas has a shot to be ranked. Those two teams kind of in and out of the polls. Of course, West Virginia was a perennial top 25 team last year. Arkansas was top 25 for a for majority of the season. Will they repeat as that? I know both of those teams have lost a substantial portion of their roster, but they're still good programs and they have the ability to reload. You could see both of those ranked. Baylor, Alabama could be ranked. Should be. Should be ranked. It's weird to say that. It's very weird to say that these days. Oklahoma, Auburn, probably both teams will not be ranked. I think Auburn very well should be ranked at that point Oklahoma's kind of been hit or miss most years up and down for the Sooners especially considering they play in such a difficult conference it's so hard for them to avoid losing some midweek game to Kansas or Kansas State or someone else of course Kansas State was awful last year but you get the point they feel like Tough the Big Texas 12. they feel like the Texas A&M of the SEC it's and, like and they're they make always the talented. tournament at like 20 and 12 right you know and they're like a seven or an eight seed but they weren't a top 25 team I think that's probably about it for all ranked on ranked matchups. I think you're looking at Baylor, Alabama, West Virginia, Arkansas. Auburn, Oklahoma has a chance. And then Tennessee, Texas. Those will be your ranked ranked matchups. You don't think Oklahoma State and Florida, uh, do you think either of those teams will be ranked come January? I don't see how Oklahoma State moves on after Cade Cunningham and puts together a, a similar season to what they did last year. And even last year with Cade Cunningham, they were – just kind of good and then at times when they weren't playing well they they got hot at the end of the season right right but during the regular season they were just kind of average to above average I find it interesting you said you don't know if Auburn's going to be ranked by the time no that I they think play. Auburn will be they, ranked they will be I think ranked. Auburn will okay. be ranked it's the Oklahoma that I don't know will be ranked. okay all right because I was I was thinking if Auburn gets through non-conference their non-conference slate okay no, Auburn will be ranked mid, mid, mid-season SEC SEC schedules uh, Auburn should be in the top fifteen in my mind. If if they're if they're going to be as good as as Christian advertised them to, I'm putting a lot on Christian right now. <laughs> Up until this point, I I'd been I was skeptical, opti- but slightly optimistic, and now uh, I am on the hype train, and it has left the station. Really excited about this Auburn basketball team. With this SEC Big Twelve challenge coming out today, it's kind of a reminder too of how difficult Auburn's non-conference basketball schedule is. 
for this upcoming season. Of course, you're playing in that ESPN basketball tournament over Thanksgiving down in Orlando mm. where it's got teams like Michigan State. I even think Gonzaga may be playing in it. It's like an all-power five tournament. And so with that basketball tournament in Orlando, John Rothstein has reported that Auburn should be playing USF, St. Louis, North Alabama's another team. UCF is on the schedule. I think that they're trying to shuffle some things around to figure out how they can complete the Washington home-and-home, which Mm -hmm. would mean a road trip to the Pacific Northwest to play in Seattle at the Washington Huskies. That makes the non-conference schedule even more difficult. We've seen several non-conference games added to this, and now it's shaping up to be a pretty difficult schedule. What do you make of that? I think it's a really, really good thing because it's going to be able to test Auburn before they get into conference play. We've been talking about in football how we would like to see Auburn schedule uh, some some more difficult group of five teams maybe to maybe make that Penn State matchup a little bit easier for the Tigers once they finally get to that. I think it's very similar for basketball. I'd like to be able to see Auburn schedule some of those tough non-conference opponents because you can take one or two losses in non-conference play. It's not going to kill your season, but you can learn from that and you can say moving into conference play, okay, we know how to play against the big boys. Let's go out. Let's go and knock out some teams on the road in the SEC because the SEC proved last season it was wild. Like it was just a free for all. You, you you remember midseason? It's just like every team that you thought could should win a game would probably lose it. It was just it was just wild. I want to clarify, I made a mistake. Had a Freudian slip. This past year, Auburn was supposed to play in that Orlando Invitational Tournament. I don't know why it completely went over my head with that it's the battle for Atlantis in Bahamas this upcoming year. You got you to gotta help me out here, man. I guess it went over your head, too. <laughs> I, thought it, I, thought it, uh, I thought it was uh, Battle for Atlantis, and I wasn't going to correct you. I just knew it was a tournament that had yeah, a lot it of is, Power 5 teams it in it. It is Battle for Atlantis, and the teams that are playing in it, once again, Auburn, Arizona State, Baylor, UConn, Loyola, Chicago, Michigan State, Syracuse, and VCU. Loaded group there. You could play three. You could play three teams amongst that group that are that are extremely dangerous. So we're going to take a quick break here on on the line, and when we come back, we'll continue our Auburn football schedule analysis series with the LSU Tigers. Stay tuned for that. are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Segment into the show. Auburn and Alabama found out their SEC Big 12 challenge opponents. Tough non-conference schedule for Auburn basketball coming up with a preseason tournament in battle for Atlantis. On top of that, UCF, possibly Washington, if they can figure that out. A slew of tough opponents on that non-conference schedule for Auburn basketball. I meant to ask you this question before we went to break, but what quality about this Auburn basketball team this year do you think helps them the most against the tough non-conference schedule that they'll be facing this upcoming season? Well, for me, and I, I, I know you, you took this in a different direction. I really like your, your answer to this question. But for me, I think it's the quality of these coaches and their ability to get this team to, to develop chemistry throughout the season. I think this coaching staff does a really good job of keeping these players mentally in the game, even though Auburn sometimes will find themselves down. The quality 
of this coaching staff propels this team past opponents that are either not as talented as Auburn, and while they currently have Auburn on the ropes, or that it propels them past teams that are just as talented, if not more, and it requires Auburn to step up mentally, and it t- requires them to come together as a team and develop chemistry throughout the game, and I think that's provided by Pearl and this coaching staff. You see team this Auburn team... Two years ago, I believe, whenever whenever Auburn was starting four seniors in a coro, it's every single game, even when it looked like they were down, Pearl would rally the troops and they would get together and they would find a way to win. You think that LSU game in overtime, you think that Ole Miss game, I believe that game also went to overtime, Arkansas in overtime. Anytime Auburn find, found themselves with their backs against the wall, this coaching staff rallied the troops and got them together to focus and finish off games. We didn't see that quite as well last season, but we did see it at times because this last year's team was so young. You have some of those guys coming back. You've got some really talented guys coming in. It's a really nice blend of youth and, and, and veteran experience. I think the most important thing for this year's team is to find chemistry, and I think all, all of that comes from this coaching staff's ability to coach them up and get them to play together. I'm going to go with a chip on their shoulder. What I mean by that is look at all of these players in this starting lineup, go on to the bench as well, they all, or at least most of them, seem to have a chip on their shoulder coming into the season or in the past have played with a chip on their shoulder. First of all, you got Wendell Green Jr. coming in at point guard. Also, Zeb Jasper coming in at point guard. The two point guards that you could have starting for Auburn this upcoming year are both coming from small conference schools. Something to prove. College of Charleston with Zeb Jasper, Eastern Kentucky with Wendell Green Jr. Also, you talk about Wendell Green Jr. being a slightly undersized point guard. Undersized point guards seem to have the universal theme of playing with a chip on their shoulder there's something about small school guys coming to big conferences they play with something to prove they play with emotion they play with intensity so that takes care of point guard you move on to shooting guard katie johnson is the definition of a pest on defense definition of a pest if you watched him play at all at georgia last year greedy defenders you'd say most of the time a way to describe those players is that they play with a chip on their shoulder, right? And Katie Johnson didn't get to play for half of a season last year. That's going to irritate anybody, right? And they're going to come in with something to prove to earn their playing time. And he did just that. Now he transfers to Auburn. He's an outsider coming into the program from, oh, a rival by the name of Georgia. He's probably got something to prove coming into the program. At small forward, Alan Flanagan, only a three-star recruit coming out of high school. His dad is a coach on the team. You got something to prove to make sure that people know that you're legit, that you that you earned your spot on this roster. But also, he had a terrible freshman season. And last year, he was good at times and he was bad at times. But one thing is for sure, he improved a dramatic amount last season as a sophomore from his freshman year. He's working hard. You can tell that with Alan Flanagan. I think he embodies the chip on the shoulder mentality more than any of these other players on this team. And he's a leader. And that type of leadership trickles down. Now, he may not be a vocal leader, but that type of leadership with the way that he carries himself will trickle down. There is a gritty nature to Alan Flanagan. Jabari Smith, I don't know why he'd have a chip on his shoulder. Guy's been groomed for this moment. He's a top five overall recruit, possibly a top three overall pick in next year's NBA draft. He's so talented, it doesn't matter if the guy's got a chip on his shoulder. He's a young dude. He'll learn from the other guys. He'll follow the leadership leadership will create a culture amongst this group Jabari Smith's the last guy I'm worried about whether or not they have a chip on their shoulder but then I go to the center position with Walker Kessler 
transfer from North Carolina, didn't play hardly at all last year, probably created some type of disgruntled feelings, felt the need to leave North Carolina, wasn't playing, felt like he was destined for more. So now you you take that type of mentality, that chip-on-your-shoulder mentality, you bring that to Auburn. A center that had eight blocks in an ACC tournament game against Notre Dame, that's gritty. That's tough. And the guy may be a little bit more of a finesse player than centers typically are because he can run the floor, likes to play on the perimeter, but he has something to prove coming to Auburn. And then you even go to the bench, and I'm not going to go through the entire roster, but even mm-hmm. you take this exercise, you go to the bench, and you will find players like that as well. Devin Cambridge, always looking to improve. Seems like every year there's some type of message out from Devin Cambridge or from the coaches urging him to be better, urging him to be more consistent. These players are working hard to improve each and every day, and they're coming off of a season. And anybody who that that is returning from last year's team that played on that team that went thirteen and fourteen or whatever it was that they had a losing record last year, they have something to prove this year, and that creates this chip on their shoulder mentality. I think that grittiness will help this squad carry through and play above and beyond and improve a lot in the non-conference schedule and and give them a legitimate shot to beat some of the better teams on their non-conference schedule, namely in the battle for Atlantis. They want to get on the map. I think another guy on the bench that I would immediately look at is Jalen Williams, a guy that that is viewed as a fringe NBA prospect coming into his junior season. He's got to be able to put some tape out there to prove that he is legitimate. He's got to be able to come out and during his minutes with Jabari Smith and Alan Flanagan taking those primary minutes and probably taking the starting role, he's got to be able to come in there and shine. Dylan Cardwell as well. They've got to make the most of every single chance that they get. And Williams, I think, out of Cambridge, Cardwell, more Cambridge he's got to be able to get out there knowing that he is I think out of all of those guys on the bench he's probably got the highest ceiling as far as NBA talent goes or the ability to get drafted he's got to be more comfortable with the ball he's got to get out there and he's got to shoot consistently I would say Williams on the bench is my number one guy if you're talking about guys with a chip on their shoulder he's got something to prove this season I think pretty much anybody on the bench right now because they're all losing minutes yes. Jalen Williams being moved to the bench right, right. Chris Moore's gonna have to fight for his minutes Stretch Akingbola is gonna have to play for his minutes Dylan Cardwell all of them all of these guys on this bench have to play for minutes because they brought in some really talented transfers competition is going to make everyone better in its competition amongst themselves inside the program, but it's good competition. We didn't even talk about Zeb Jasper coming in as one of the his defensive I mentioned conf- him. conference. Oh, you did? Yeah. I'm sorry. Defensive conference player of the year. He's got something to prove if Wendell Green's going to start at the one, and we're going to have we're going to have uh, we're going to have somebody else starting at the two. He's got to be able to come in there and make the most of his minutes as well. You're exactly right. Everybody from last year's team is going to have minutes taken away from them in some shape or form, and they have to go out there and prove themselves. We've talked about how there are a lot of mouths to feed on this team. They've got to be able to figure out how to distribute that evenly, and whenever these guys do get their chance, they have to execute. I think that could be a potential downfall of this team is players being too selfish, but again, I come back to Bruce Pearl's probably one of the best coaches in the country as far as developing chemistry within his guys, so... I'm excited. I cannot tell you how excited because every time I go to see a flaw on this team, there is always a positive that I could take away from it. It's it's not it's not that this team's invincible. It's just that they have so much promise and they have so much talent. And I hope that with Jabari Smith, what I assume is his one year in college, I hope that they gel together in time 
come March Madness. If you're just now joining us, we've been discussing the 2022 SEC Big 12 Challenge matchups. Those games are Baylor at Alabama, West Virginia at Arkansas, Oklahoma at Auburn, Oklahoma State at Florida, Kentucky at Kansas, LSU at TCU, Kansas State at Ole Miss, Mississippi State at Texas Tech, Missouri at Iowa State, and Tennessee at Texas. Fun little note there about Auburn's matchup with Oklahoma. Auburn's 2-1 and one against Oklahoma all time. They've all been at neutral sites. They've never played Oklahoma in Norman or in Auburn. That's right. Last matchup, December 21st, 2016, they won 74-70. to I believe it was a game that D'Angelo Purifoy went absolutely off. That was the game before Jared Harper went off in overtime against UConn. I believe Oklahoma, the game was played at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut as well. So it was a really good stretch for Auburn in that non-conference slate. We'll see if they can do the same thing here, get through their non-conference, get through the first part of the SEC schedule, and they'll be playing another. Again, you talked about this earlier. It's a decent Big 12 team. Oklahoma's not bad. They just have so many different teams in their conference that are just better than them that it, it makes it difficult for them to rise to the top without a star player like Buddy Heald, Trey Young, but they're still a formidable opponent. They were kind of in and out of the top 25 last year, and I believe mm-hmm. by the end of the year they were out, but... They went 16 and 11 last season and earned an appearance in the NCAA tournament. You go 16 and 11, most of the time you're not an NCAA tournament team, but out of the Big 12, if your name's Oklahoma and you had a week where you beat three top 10 teams, maybe you've even been three top five teams. You remember that? There was that stretch of time that included them beating yes, Alabama, yeah. maybe Kansas, and someone else. So Oklahoma had a, had a stretch of winning three games in a row against like top 10 opponents mm-hmm. this past year. Still finished at 16 11, right? And so that's kind of the Oklahoma that we know every year. They're going to lose double-digit games, but they still are very much so going to be in the NCAA tournament picture. And I imagine the same will probably be true about this Oklahoma team with these two teams running into each other come January or February when they play on this. Of course, Auburn, wouldn't you agree Auburn has a lot more talent than Oklahoma? Whenever I say a lot more. Going into more, this year, yes. In that starting rotation, they've got a lot more talent. And then you look at their bench pieces. Their bench pieces were essentially our starters last season. Think about that. Our bench players are going to be most of our starters from last season. Isn't Auburn's, that wild? That is wild. Auburn's 2-4 and four in the Big 12 SEC Challenge all-time, having won two of their last three. They beat TCU in 2017 and Iowa State inside Auburn Arena in 2020. The SEC's been improving a bit in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, which I felt like it was dominated originally by the Big 12. Now the SEC holds a 25-24 advantage over the last five years of the event. Just means more, baby. (laughs) SEC basketball has improved a dramatic amount. On the other side of this break, we come back, we talk about Auburn football schedule analysis series against the LSU Tigers. We'll be back. You're listening on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook. To keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama. On FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's Fox Sports 983 dot com halfway through the first hour of the show talked a lot of auburn basketball up to this point with the 
announcement of the SEC Big 12 Challenge matchups, Auburn taking on Oklahoma, Alabama taking on Baylor. But let's veer away from that. Let's go to the gridiron now. Auburn football schedule analysis series continues now as we enter into the SEC schedule. Game 5, the LSU Tigers and the Bayou Bengals. And they have been a hot topic of conversation between you and I throughout the offseason as a team that you and I kind of view as overrated, at least in the eyes of the national media. But let's break it down, looking at the offense first with the LSU Tigers. Talk to me about this quarterback position right now that seems to have narrowed down its position battle to the arena between Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. So if I was to grade every single position on the LSU Tigers, starting with quarterback, I had a really difficult time because the first question I asked myself is, are these quarterbacks really good or is it the scheme that inflates their numbers? You look at a team like Washington State, are their quarterbacks actually that good or is the fact that they throw the ball 60 times a game what makes them impressive, so to speak, at the end of the day? It's also a short passing game, so it's hard to not have a good completion percentage. Right. Whenever you look at a team like LSU, I am going to grade whoever starts as a B. I think they're an above-average quarterback in college football. Better than Bo Nix or worse? I would say... I would say... I, I think Bo Nix has more upside. I'll say that. I'll say, I'll say that Bo Nix has a higher ceiling than Max Johnson or Miles Brennan. If you put Miles Brennan and Max Johnson in the Auburn offense... Under Gus Malzahn, catastrophe. Oh, it would be ugly. Catastrophe. I know Miles or Max Johnson can run a little bit, but that that would not save him from being bad in that offense. The point I'm trying to make is Bonex is better. Okay, I'm I'm okay with that. He's got more tools. He's every bit as good of a passer as those guys. Yeah, I'm okay. He's with just that. been in a far worse scheme, worse offensive line. LSU's had a good offensive line over the last couple of years. They return all five of their offensive linemen for this. Miles Brennan and Max Johnson are in a much better situation in terms of what they've got coming back on the offense. they got five offensive linemen coming back, like I mentioned. you got the great receiver and Kayshawn Boutte coming back, who's now a sophomore, is going to probably have a major spike in production now that he's not the number two to Terrace Marshall Jr. LSU has pieces surrounding their quarterbacks. Auburn's having to replace all of their wide receivers, and they didn't look good in the spring. And then the offensive line was not very good last year, at least in terms of pass protection. Bo Nix has done a pretty bang-up job, in my eyes, throughout the circumstances he has been placed in up to this point. Had Miles Brennan had a full season, if Bo- Joe Burrow did not exist, would have been close to record-setting. <laughs> Poor Bengals if Joe Burrow didn't exist, if right? Jo- Joe Burrow did not <laughs> exist. Miles Brennan, I believe through three games last season, 1,100 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. You can say... Well, it was against three awful teams in Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri. He still did it. And it's it's like if you're if you're doing that against SEC competition, I'm not expecting you to throw for 400 yards against Auburn and Alabama, but you're probably not going to be terrible. And so you take into account this this is an SEC quarterback room on an SEC roster with SEC caliber coaches. You put up those numbers, Max Johnson or Miles Brennan, both threw for over 1,000 yards in limited time last season. Whoever starts from them and gets a full year is probably going to be at the end of the season top five in the SEC. And, I would agree with that. It's have, the scheme. I had them at number four on my quarterback's list 
I believe it was the first of June that we did this, and I had whoever starts at quarterback for LSU will finish the season number four. So I would grade I grade this quarterback room as a B. And it's interesting because normally whenever we're talking about grading these positions, you look at the quarterback room and it should just be one guy. We're not talking about the quarterback room. We're talking about the quarterback that's going to start and we're grading him essentially. Whenever we look at teams like Penn State, it's like, well, we're grading Sean Clifford. We're not even looking past him to see how good is this room overall. But with LSU, you kind of have to do that because they don't know who their starting quarterback's going to be. I want to point out something with these quarterbacks, though. And you bring up Miles Brennan's first three games of the year, or his only three games of the year. He went one and two. Now, the LSU defense didn't do him any favors, gave up 44 to Mississippi State, 45 to Missouri, and then, of course, held Vanderbilt to seven points. But I think you just kind of say, yeah, Vanderbilt, you know, it's not. <laughs> That, that, of course they should have won by that much 41 to 7 everyone beat Vanderbilt 41 to 7 last year but Mississippi State they lose 34 to 44 where I I think you can look at that game and say Miles Brennan made a lot of mistakes even though he threw for over 300 yards in that game you're like he made a lot of mistakes Missouri game as well the numbers look great but there's something deceptive I think about the LSU quarterback room numbers I I, I take more I think Max Johnson I take more solace in Max Johnson's performances at the end of the season than I take in Miles Brennan's through the first three games because Miles Brennan went one and two against some of the worst teams in the SEC. I mean, Missouri was 500. They were five and five. Vanderbilt, he beat, of course, once again, strike that from the record. They were winless. And then Mississippi State went three and seven last year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or four and seven or whatever. I mean, that's that, these were not good football teams, but Max Johnson comes in at the end and beats Florida and Ole Miss. You know, like, that. that's a little bit more... There's more substance there to the opposition. So when I look at the two quarterbacks' numbers and I see Max Johnson had 1,069 yards, eight touchdowns, one pick, and I see Miles Brennan had 1,100 yards, a little bit over 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns and three picks, and I compare the competition that they were playing, and Max Johnson had more pass attempts than any of the other quarterbacks. Max Johnson's the best-looking quarterback in this room, I think. Right. You and I have talked about this during the offseason. As I've said before multiple times, I think Max Johnson's the guy that they got to go with. I think something else you also have to take into account is he was playing better competition, and even though the defense was still just as bad, they found a way to win those games against better competition because the offense was still clicking at such a high level. I'm right there with you. Whoever I I say whoever starts, I believe it's Johnson, but even if they do go with a guy like Brennan, I think he's still going to put up numbers – but I, I I agree with you. I think Max Johnson's the guy to go, go with. I think. Still, what, to be fair though, Florida and Ole Miss have pretty bad pass defenses. Right, but they That's were the other side of that. They were better teams though. Yes, you would agree that they're. They, well, they found a way to win against better teams. I right. think that's what I would say. Now, substantial. Going back to what I said about him having more substance to the competition, yes, in the game itself, because those are better overall teams, and they still had to go out and win a duel against Matt Corral and Kyle Trask. I mean, think about this. Max Johnson out-dueled Kyle Trask and Matt Corral. Took a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that there is something to that. Yeah. But you also look at LSU versus the good teams on their schedule last year. They scored 11 against Auburn. They scored 7 against Texas A&M. And they scored 17 against Alabama. Those were the best defenses on their schedule that they played. Yep and they scored that once again i go back to 11 against auburn and it was ugly seven against a&m and 17 against alabama now does it look different if miles brennan or max johnson are the quarterbacks in those games probably a little bit but i, I don't know how much and then also i and I, I agree with you i don't think the gap 
closes significantly to the point where they flip those games necessarily. But you do get Auburn and A&M at home, and you get a full off season to figure out this quarterback situation. So I think they, they have the time to do it. It's just whether or not they're going to be able to do it. Um, I, I, I do put this room at a B, though. Moving on to running back, I almost, and I told you this off air, I almost graded this room as a D just to spite them. But I've got this running back room as a C because it is still an SEC running back room. Statistically, the scheme did not help them last season. LSU only ran for 121 yards per game last season. That was 12th in the conference, 109th nationally. Didn't do too well with these running backs' averages either. Right. Made running back um, Tyrion Davis Price only yes. averaged four point three yards a carry. It's not very good. John Emery, I felt like John Emery. John Emery is probably the best running back out of this group, especially mm-hmm. when you look at his recruiting ranking. He averaged five yards a carry, which ain't half bad, but it's still not that good well, compared to other running backs that are averaging well above five and a half yards per carry. Here's the thing. Day. Here's the thing. Their top four running backs that return didn't average more than five yards a carry. John John Emery Jr. was it. Max Johnson didn't average five, over five yards a carry. He was their fifth string running back that I believe had 5.8 yards per carry. And he had like 50, he literally had 58 yards on 10 attempts. It's like he's not going to get time this season. Their top guys have to perform. I don't think they're going to in this scheme, even more so. I don't know if they would if they had a scheme where they ran the ball uh, 30 times a game. Uh, I'm I'm there with you. I think John Emery should be the guy. I'm kind of confused why Athlon has him behind Davis Price, but. Regardless, this room is a C. I almost put them at a, at a D because their run their their running game was so bad last year. What do you make of this offensive line? Five guys coming back seem to be pretty good at pass protection. Running the ball though, they didn't really have a running game last year. Fifty eighth best offensive line in the country according to Pro Football Focus in two thousand and twenty. Again, they bring back all five starters. Four of them are seniors. The results last year were were kind of average. The Tigers ranked right in the middle of the pack in the SEC in both pass pass blocking grade and run blocking grade. They were seventh in the conference in pass block, sixth in run blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. They were 84th in the country in sacks allowed per game. They gave up two and a half sacks per contest. Of course, that could be uh, to be expected because they were dropping back to throw the ball so much. But at the same time, they're bringing back a bunch of veteran guys who didn't play well last year four seniors on this year's offensive line they one play, junior they played average so I kind of flip-flop between C and B I want to put them at a B because I believe they're going to perform better than they did last year but I'll put them I'll put them as a C and I think the flip side of this is like well in my mind SEC teams are really really good so if average in the it shouldn't average in the country be be if you're doing well in the SEC and average in the SEC shouldn't that be above average I think so, football. yes. So that would be a reason to put them as B, but uh, there's, I think there's too many numbers that reflect this offensive line not being above average in college football. Wide receiver, Kayshawn Boutte leads a receiving core that's now gutted without Terrace Marshall, who opted out in the middle of the season. It's Kayshawn Boutte at the top. They lose Eric Gilbert as well. After Boutte, not a whole lot of experience, not a whole lot of usage. They got Boutte back, and they got Jeray Jenkins, who had 23 catches for nearly 400 yards. He had 17.3 yards per reception, two touchdowns. They know, they know how to stretch the field between Boutte and Jenkins. 
What do you like about this receiver room? I've got this receiver room as an A, and I think a lot of it has to do with Boutte. I think Trey Palmer is going to be a little bit more involved in this offense, and then they've got some really young, talented receivers coming in. I think LSU recruits really well at that position. I think they're going to continue to recruit well at that position. I really like what, how this scheme benefits this receiver room. I think Kayshawn Boutte is easily going to have 1,000 yards this season. One of the best one of the best rooms in the country, one of the best rooms in the SEC. I don't think the best room in the SEC, but definitely up there. I've got them as an A. Looking at the LSU offense as a whole, new offensive coordinator, Jake Peets, former assistant quarterback coach with the Carolina Panthers this past year underneath Joe Brady, former LSU offensive coordinator, now Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator. What do you make of the change at the top they move away from their OC last year, despite the fact that they averaged 32 points a game, which has been Steve Ensmeeker for some time. But what do you make about this change with Jake Peets at OC now at LSU? I'm skeptical because I don't trust Ed Ogeron to hire the, the right guys. Even though he did so in 2019, I don't trust this entire coaching staff to make this LSU team, specifically the offense, go and go really really well like they did in 2019 i want to switch this it was an assistant quarterbacks coach he was the quarterbacks coach last year underneath joe brady but that's kind of like being an assistant when you're talking about joe brady and managing quarterbacks Mm -hmm. and then he was the running backs coach with the carolina panthers the year before that in 2019 his sec experience goes back to being an offensive analyst at alabama in 2018 and then he was all the way back in 2013 before he got into the nfl again was an offensive analyst at Alabama then, uh, apparently dealing with quarterbacks, was a defensive assistant at UCLA in 07. He's got limited collegiate experience, and it's all in an analyst role. Right. Not, and none of these – I don't see any coordinator positions on his resume. He's, not, he's never called plays, I don't think. I'll say this. I think LSU recruits well, and I think LSU is very talented. Blue chip ratio, we've talked about that before, reflects that. But I don't. I think this LSU offense is going to click. I think they're going to score points. But at the end of the day, I think this coaching staff is not going to make them excel. If anything, I think they're going to hold them back because, like you just mentioned, the the coordinator that they have coming in has no experience calling plays at the collegiate level. At least not not that we under not that we know. So how much? I mean, is most he, of the time, a quarterbacks coach doesn't do that. <laughs> how 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 much are we going to see this LSU offense progress? past 32 points per game I think it's they they are but I don't think it's going to be enough to to put them over the edge you think this is just them kind of grasping at straws to try and get a Joe Brady like yes flash in the pan again yes because wouldn't you rather go after like a veteran coordinator or something like there's somebody that has like experience in the game like get somebody from from a group of five school that that like really knows what they're doing offensively that that's been in the game for a while instead of grasping at a coordinator that just because he has ties to Joe Brady means that he must be the the next big thing you know like I, I would I would rather go get somebody that I'm comfortable with instead of somebody that makes the fans comfortable you, you know it's like if I were a fan I'd be like hey look a guy that knows Joe Brady is woo it's like okay well Jeremy Pruitt was under Nick Saban in Alabama at one point you think he's pretty good as well it's like I don't know I don't, I don't that's know good. man that's good let's take a quick break here and when we come back we'll talk a little bit about NCAA basketball Creighton received two years of probation from the NCAA what does that mean for the Auburn Tigers we'll talk about that when we come back 
Wrapping up the first hour of the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. ABC has a game show lineup with Press Your Luck at 7, The $100,000 Pyramid at 8, and Card Sharks at 9. Some movie selections for tonight, Saving Private Ryan is on BBC at 7. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds star in The Proposal at 6.30 on Freeform. Get your laughs in with back-to-back showings of Spy on FX Movies at 5.40. In live sports, it's the beginning of the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA Playoffs with Game 1 between the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks at 7.30 on TV. One College World Series game is on tonight with an elimination game between Stanford and Vanderbilt at 6 on ESPN. In the MLB, the Los Angeles Dodgers take on the San Diego Padres at 9 on ESPN. The NHL playoffs continue with the Stanley Cup semifinal between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. The Lightning take a 3-2 lead into Game 6 at 7 on NBCSN. Copa America is in full swing in the soccer world with a Group B match between Colombia and Brazil at 7 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Ramping up hour number one of the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Dahl with you. Talked a little Auburn LSU football in that previous segment, as well as a lot of SEC basketball with the SEC Big 12 Challenge announcing its matchups earlier today. It's time to talk a little bit, though, on the national scope of college basketball. We talked about Creighton receiving two years of probation from the NCAA yesterday a bit with Justin Ferguson. We didn't really talk about our takes on this. Lance, what do you take away for what this could mean for Auburn on the basketball front. Well, if anything, it's a good thing, right, to know that Auburn handed themselves a one-year probation. Creighton's getting two years. They did both did very similar things as far as recruiting violations go. If anything, Auburn would get one more year of probation if the NCAA feels uh, like they like they should hand some more out. But at the same time, Auburn also had. Uh, they they had to hold out Sharif Cooper for for half the season, even though there was absolutely nothing wrong and he was perfectly fine to play. So I feel like the NCAA could take a look at that situation, and be like, oh well, that's a situation where we did Auburn wrong. Let's just even things out. Let's just call it a wash and say, hey, we messed up. Y'all messed up. Y'all already put yourselves on probation. Let's call it even, and there be no issues after that. So if anything, I think it's a, think it's a good thing. That's kind of the position that I'm taking is that at least some of these other schools like South Carolina and Creighton, they're really just getting a slap on the wrist. They aren't, they're not getting eviscerated. They're not getting these postseason bans. They're not getting destroyed, right? Right. From what we know about the Auburn situation, from what has been reported, from what is public, from what you know about that, I don't see how Auburn could get more than Creighton and South Carolina. Right. Unless there is more that has not been publicly reported. Which I hope there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope there isn't. I, I don't think there is. Well, of course, I don't know, but I, I would just hope that there's there's nothing else going on behind the scenes. Because really- Auburn did not report, at least publicly, they did not reveal publicly that there is a notice of allegations inside the program. But right. if there were then you you would be looking at possibly a much worse situation, right? Because right. then you, then Auburn gets grouped in with teams like Louisville and Oklahoma State, among other teams, that were in trouble for a little bit more than just what the FBI investigation was about a rogue assistant personally benefiting as opposed to now the program benefited 
by bringing in players and whatnot and maybe did things that they weren't allowed to do on the recruiting trail right Mm -hmm. and so like of course none of that like you you don't know anything about that right all we know is that is is what we know that has been purely about the fbi investigation into college basketball about chuck person so you don't know anything about a notice of allegations but if it if it did go beyond that then it could be worse for armor but i think this is from what we know this is a pretty good sign it is Let's take a quick break here as that's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour, new, hour number two coming up at 3 o'clock here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wednesday afternoon edition of the show. It's been a good hour number one so far. Talked a lot of college basketball, Auburn basketball with the SEC Big 12 Challenge, a little Auburn football with our Auburn football schedule analysis series. Talked about the LSU Tigers a bit today. Let's get to the defensive side of the ball with the LSU Tigers, Lance. We broke down the offense in detail, an offense that maybe we give an overall grade a B. I think so. I think so, and I think the scheme definitely benefits that. I think LSU has a really good scheme, especially in their passing game. So I would, I'd rate it a B because at the end of the season, I think they'll be averaging 35, 34 points a game. I think they'll be solid. But still riddled with key mistakes that can lose them football games because the defense isn't that good. Yes, and that's what we're going to go ahead and get to. The defensive line, I graded as a C. And you may be asking yourself, Lance, why is the defensive line graded as a C? They weren't terrible last year. The secondary was. I'm like, well, that defense as a whole was not very good. And they bring back four starters from that defensive line. All seniors. All of them are seniors. You might be a little low on a C. I might be a little bit low on a C, but this unit did give up thirty, almost 35 points per game. And 67th nationally in rushing yards allowed per game. They gave up almost 170 that's not good. That's not going to cut it for me. If you're ninth in the SEC, 67th nationally, I, I put you as a C because 65 is at, it, literally right there in the middle of the pack. It's 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 a C grade, and I understand all. You could also make the argument it's like, well, this is SEC talent. I'm like, well, and they're all seniors, and the SEC defensively was not the best in in. in in, on the spectrum last that's season. so true so I, I i think they are sitting at average heading into this year uh they were 52nd in the country in sacks per game um this is much different from georgia state situation where like they're bringing back like oh everybody on the offensive line or oh everybody on their defensive line or everybody in their secondary it was like this is still sec talent so i i but i do have them as a C, I'd actually kind of like to see this defensive line go up against Georgia State's offensive line. I'd like to see that matchup. I think it'd be a lot of fun. But I have them great as a, as, as a C. I don't. I see potential, again, because of the recruiting talent. 
but I don't see much past that because the SEC wasn't great defensively last year, and statistically, they weren't very impressive either. I think you get a better matchup than the Georgia State-LSU comparison in week one when they go to the Rose Bowl and play UCLA, an offensive line that returns all five starters featuring a lot of youth on that offensive line. They were freshmen last year, now sophomores this year, but still five starters back on an offense that averaged 35.4 points per game. Talking about UCLA. Yes. Veteran defensive line at LSU against an experienced offensive line at UCLA. And I think you can say they're a veteran if all five starters are coming back on that side of the ball. I'd only rate LSU's defensive line a little bit higher than that because I still believe that a senior-laden SEC defensive line is is above average in the sphere of college football. But it's still not an above-average offensive – or excuse me, it's not an above-average defensive line in the SEC – I'd say it's an average defensive line in the SEC. I'd be willing to bend if if you if if you would if you talked me into it. I'd be willing to bend and say that they're a B. I think they reside somewhere between C and B. I'm, I'm, I'm better okay defensive with that. line Auburn or LSU. Uh, Auburn. Why? Sell me on it. Because I think they're pretty close. I think they they are close, but historically, I think Auburn's defensive line they recruit better at that position. And I'm really high on the guys that they have. I think they're going to be able to rush the passer better than they did last year and better than LSU will this season. And I'm really excited to see what Derek Mason does with this with this defense. Again, you have to think about who are the coordinators that are making these defenses go. And I'd have a lot more faith in Derek Mason than I do in Durante Jones, who I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know who that was until they hired until LSU hired him this offseason. A former Vikings assistant. I think he was a defensive backs coach with the Vikings last year. But the key for me on the defensive line is Nick Eason, new defensive line coach. And I've gotten to this a lot. He helped out with the transition of the 4-3 defensive line to the 3-4 defensive line with the Tennessee Titans when he took his first coaching job at the NFL. He's done this before. Now it's his first coaching job in college, and he's taking what has been traditionally a four-man front, even though it's been out of the nickel. It's been a 4-2-5 defense primarily under Kevin Steele. He's taken a four-man front to now a three-man front. He's no, He knows how to do this. He's done this before. I think he's the key in all this. We can talk about Derek Mason a lot, but I get the vibe that he's working a lot more in the defensive backfield. Mm -hmm. Whenever you move up a level, you get to the linebackers. And I don't know where you would rank this group, but I have them as a C. Their leading leading, uh, tackler, DeMonte Clark, returns. Man, you do not think highly of LSU. (laughs) But outside of that... I put stock in the fact that everybody in the second level, not just the secondary, everybody in the second level did have a hand in allowing 323 yards passing per game last season. The back half of this defense is not good. And you could say, well, a lot of that was Bo Pelini. I'm like, yeah. How much is Durante Jones going to change that? Is it going to significantly increase to the point where they're back to the where, where they were you know what's two, funny? three or four years ago? Go ahead. You know what's funny? And this is going on with your point. What's funny is... People say that Auburn's going to underachieve this year because of Brian Harson's background, but LSU just hired two coordinators whose backgrounds are from quarterbacks coach of the Carolina Panthers and defensive back coach of the Minnesota Vikings. They really don't have substantial coordinator experience, period. Right. And, and they think LSU's going to bounce back. And they think all of a sudden 35 points per game and 323 yards passing is just going to all of a sudden vanish because Derek Stingley was an All-American as a freshman. See, but Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley are good defensive backs. They I think are. they've got good I think they probably have the two the best one two punch at cornerback in the SEC. 
that I, I, I don't I don't think that that's much up for debate, especially when you're looking at the way that they are going to they, they're going to take off for the NFL draft. Man, I mean these these guys are Eli Rex may not be eligible to go this year, but Derek Stingley is going to be a high round draft pick. They have major NFL potential. For whatever reason, they just gave up a billion yards last year. A lot of that has to do with the injuries to that to that defensive backfield last year. So you think they make a jump from last in the SEC at 14th to where? At least middle of the pack, right? Like, I, like I, I don't foresee them giving up 323 yards per game. I mean, this is DBU. This is DBU, and they have two really solid. In Derek Stingley's absence last year, Eli Ricks exploded onto the seam. It was it was a feast or famine like year for him. Now, I mean, he was he had his great games and he had his bad games, just like I think we've seen with Derek Stingley. They've both been kind of hot or cold, but when they're hot, this is a defensive backfield that you're not going to throw against well. So, where would you grade them at quarterback? I would say A, but I have to grade the entire <laughs> the entire defensive backfield, right? Right. I'd give them a B in the defensive backfield. I'm I, there with I, they, you. They're still held down by the fact that they did give up over 300 yards passing per game last year. People can't deny that. This is one of the worst defenses in college football in terms of bleeding yardage. They finished 124th nationally in yards allowed per game. That's horrible. LSU's defense was bad last year. And I'm not saying that the defense takes this massive leap, but I think they can at least be average. They have too much talent at least across the top in the secondary they got talent they have nfl talent in that secondary now everything up in front of that in the front seven that's the real problem for lsu they're not generating too much of a pass rush they don't have a whole lot to stop the run at lsu i mean they they you could turn through them easily on the ground game the front seven is what holds back this secondary for me not the secondary itself I like the talent across the top it's the front seven that holds the lsu defense back right so this is where i'm at and I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Well, their defensive backfield is really, really talented, so they should be better. What made them bad last year if they're so talented? Oh, it's their coordinator. Okay, who's their coordinator this year? Durante Jones. How much better does he actually make them? That's my question. And my answer right now is I don't think it's going to be significantly better. I don't think it's going to be a big enough jump to where LSU is at the prediction that Athlon has him, which is 9-3. and three. And a lot of the reasons why they didn't win games last season was because their defense was simply so bad. It's not going to make it's not going to change so much so that LSU as a whole gets better. So I'd put this defensive backfield at B. I'm there with you because again, so much talent, but I just don't know if the coordinators are going to be able to figure it out. So across the entire defense now that we've been talking about LSU, do you how much of a jump do you think the LSU defense makes? And what does that do in terms of wins and losses on their schedule? Because we've talked about the entire LSU team. We graded the offense at about a B. We said that the offense is good. It's talented. They should be able to put up points. But without a good defense, there are going to be key mistakes here and there that the offense will make, maybe in, the ter- maybe in terms of turnovers, maybe because they have a hard time generating a rushing attack. For whatever reason it is, the LSU offense last year – was not good enough to win them five football games. Is that the same story this year? I don't think so. I think they are going to get better. It's just I don't think they're nine wins better. Or they're not they're not going to make a jump from five wins to nine. Even though they've got the non-conference slate this year, last year they would have been, what, seven and five with a non-conference slate? I don't think they're making that two-win jump. I think they're going to stay the same or maybe go eight and four. I don't see them winning that many games and finishing second or third in the West. I think Auburn is going to finish higher than LSU in the SEC standings come year's end. And we're looking at this from our Auburn football schedule analysis series 
perspective, so we're looking at this as Auburn versus LSU, what about this LSU team makes you think that Auburn can win in Baton Rouge for the first time since 1999? Because I believe it. I think Auburn wins in Baton Rouge this year. If there is going to be a year where Auburn is going to end that streak, it is this season. Auburn is more cohesive as a program. Not just players, not just coaches, combine everything together. Auburn is more cohesive as a unit, and I think that's what will propel them past LSU and Baton Rouge this season. I think LSU has some issues with their coordinators. Again, we've discussed that. And I think Auburn is in a really good spot with their coordinators because they have veteran SEC experience. They know what they're doing. They can go out there, they can rally the troops, and they can get a win at LSU. You think there's more coming together for Auburn maybe going into this year than maybe that's being stretched apart at LSU because you think about it at LSU right now and they fired their offensive line coach after the spring they pulled an old Miss and they they pulled an old Miss well after the LSU spring game so there's even more sign of disruption inside the LSU program there's just a lot of signs of distractions and disruption inside the LSU program right now off the field on the field they don't know who their quarterback's going to be do they have a true number one on the offensive line they got a pretty good uh, or not on the offensive line in the running back room they got a pretty good offensive line they got great receivers and they got great DBs but the trenches remain a question for them on the offensive and defensive side of the ball and they can't run the ball very well because they don't have that great of running backs and they they really once again you go back to the rushing numbers last year 109th nationally on the ground I mean, there's a lot on the field that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They got two new coordinators coming in, so they're not. And what it, the vibe that you get from the coordinators coming in is that they are not going to come and impose a brand new scheme. But still, even the coordinators have a learning curve because they haven't called plays. Mm-hmm. They haven't been in that role. They don't have a whole lot of experience in that role. I mean, this is the first job for Jake Peets as an offensive coordinator. He's been a quarterbacks coach or an assistant or a running backs coach. He has not been a coordinator. He's not been calling plays. He's not been the head honcho of the offensive side of the ball. You think Ed Orzeron knows a lot about the offense? Ed Orzeron is a defensive line coach when he's not a head coach. So I, I have a hard time believing that things are coming together for LSU this year. Whereas Auburn, and granted, there's a lot changing at Auburn as well. Not as much drama going on off the field, obviously. There's no drama off the field for Auburn right now. But for Auburn, it, it is selling these guys and getting them to buy into the new culture. It's getting them to buy into the new system. Of course, you've got the scheme shift on the field. That, that, is, that is something that's a major factor for Auburn moving forward. You've got all that going down. But if you get everybody to buy in as a unit and as a team, then they're, they're at least going somewhere as a collective, like you're saying. LSU, on the other hand, they're stretched in so many different directions right now with distractions. It seems like things are falling apart rather than building up. Switch coaching staffs. Where do you think these programs are at? Huh. Why would you? Why would you say that? I don't want their coaching staff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think Auburn is in a much better position right now than LSU, and I'm curious. I wonder what the offensive coordinator had to have done to to with it with with a senior laden offensive line for Ed Ogeron and the rest of the staff to say, okay, he's got to go. He's not performing. With veteran SEC talent, he's not figuring out how to perform. I wonder what that says about the culture, these players, and what's going on in the locker room right now. And I'm talking about the offensive line coach. Yes. I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. I don't think it's very pretty. I think Auburn, right now, I trust Brian Harson 
a lot more to manage a game than I do at, at Ogeron, and I trust these coordinators who have so much SEC experience to lead this team past a program like LSU, even if it is on the road, even if Auburn's not won there since 1999. I, I, think, the, I think it's a dub for the Tigers, the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> in the had Tiger to clarify Bowl, right? in the Tiger Bowl and what a big win it would be for Brian Harson. I mean that that is conquering and scratching off something on the list that Malzahn wasn't able to do that Tommy Tuberville wasn't able to do until the I'm trying to remember did Tommy Tuberville even do it because that would if I, I'm trying to remember exactly when he took over it was 1999 I don't remember when can you look that up real quick I can look that up something else I want to point out as well Jesus didn't do it if um if if LSU loses to if UCLA in week one and they beat Mississippi State like I wouldn't be so confident heading into that matchup against Auburn no and and this is something that like as a culture building thing if Auburn's able to go into Baton Rouge and win it changes the game it gets everybody to buy in because this has been the thing culturally that I think has held Auburn back a bit inside the locker room from a confidence perspective they they haven't been able to get that off their back and then once they finally beat them, that, that that won't be looming over them in the future when they go to play in Baton Rouge. Because right now it's big, bad Baton Rouge, and you can't win there. Well, here's something that I would like to point out, and I find this interesting. Tommy Tuberville did beat LSU in 1999. Yeah, it was like his first year, wasn't it? Was it was his first year. Do you know what Auburn went that season? Like five and six. They went five and six. You think this Brian Harson team can't do the exact same thing and go seven and five, eight and four, nine? I think they're going to win nine games this season. You don't think they can knock off LSU and Baton Rouge? It was a bad Auburn team the year before. Look at look back at the nineteen ninety eight season. And tell everybody what Auburn did. Nineteen ninety eight. It may take me a moment. Let's see. They went three and eight, one and seven in the SEC. And Terry Bowden Terry resigned. Bowden right resigned. The year. Yep. And then Bill Oliver was the intern interim coach for the rest of the season. So yeah. I believe this team can win in Baton Rouge. Absolutely. <laughs> Take a quick break here on On the Line. We'll be back in just a moment. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. 20 minutes into hour number two of the show. It's been a fun Wednesday here on On the Line. Just talked and wrapped up our Auburn football schedule analysis series with the LSU Tigers. We'll talk a little Georgia football tomorrow. That Auburn football matchup with the Georgia Bulldogs and Deep South's oldest rivalry, the 2021 edition of the rivalry, longest running rivalry in college football. But let's switch gears here now. Which teams are the most overrated in the SEC for 2021? We talked yesterday, underrated. Now it's time to talk about overrated. You and I only defer, I think, on one team. I didn't rank these again. I just threw teams out there that I thought were overrated. But started off, Lance, who's somebody you got? I had to rank them. I had to. Yeah, I, do. I, okay. I had to do it. Your OCD would prevented you from not doing so. Yes, because I'm like I can't I can't list off one and then in the back of my mind the entire time think well there's another team that's probably more overrated than this team. At number three, I have Texas A&M. Now I have hyped up Texas A&M a little bit, saying that if they figure out their quarterback situation, they're going to be doing pretty well this season. But as you and I have gone back and forth, they 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 have a good chance. To, to just fall apart and go 7-5-ish and five -ish this season. And a lot of that does have to do with what happens in that quarterback room. Not only that, they're not bringing back much of anything on the offensive line, and that's probably going to be a really key piece come Alabama, Auburn, playing on the road at LSU, even though we all think they're, going, they're not going to win a single game. I think this team definitely has their work cut out for them 
and they need to be able to figure out things offensively. The defense I'm okay with, but I think they are very overrated at 10-2, and 6-2 and two because that is relying on a lot of things to go their way, in my opinion, and I just don't see all of those things going their way. If they do go their way, it's a favorable schedule, of course, and I think that's where a lot of predictions come from for A&M. I have A&M on this list as well because I go back to when Kellen Mond was a freshman and what happened to A&M that year, and they went 7-6 and six under Kevin Sumlin. Now, the defense was not nearly as good back then as it is now, so this defense probably does elevate A&M. It does elevate A&M, in my eyes, above a 7-6 and six season because that's just good for 6-6. Six and six overall during the regular season that year or seven to five or whatever it was I think that does elevate them above a six and six in the regular season of course I'm not going to talk about A&M in that light I think they probably are an eight and four team at their worst this year maybe unless things are just absolutely catastrophic on the offensive side of the ball but we've seen time and time again at Auburn just having one side of the ball be good still not be enough to get past eight and five that's that is just grounds for eight and five is just have one side of the ball be good I don't care if it's offense or defense and a going to have the defense. Nine starters back, only allowed 21.7 points per game last year in the SEC. That was good for 28th nationally, third in the conference, and it was a bad conference in defense, but this was still a good defensive team. It helped them, though. I think there is something to add here. A&M was great at controlling the clock last season. I was watching – actually, you and I were watching this uh, the other night. There was the – North Carolina. Yeah, Texas A&M was playing North Carolina in the Orange Bowl – and you and I were watching it. The commentators were talking about how they were one of the best teams in controlling the clock. They did that with Kellamont's high completion percentage, his ability to make the right decision as a passer. He really didn't make many mistakes last year. Only had three interceptions, 19 touchdowns. They didn't make a whole lot of mistakes on the offensive side of the ball last year, which was different than any of the other three years that Kellamont was there because they were mistake-ridden for the first three. Fourth year, he cut down on the mistakes tremendously, made smart reads, dumped the dumped balls off down low when, when things were taken away down field they just didn't make mistakes and they they kept the clock churning and not to mention they had a running game last year as well with Isaiah Spiller this team was able to manage the clock and it kept their defense off the field and that helped them a little bit I question whether or not they're able to do that this year with a freshman quarterback who will make the mistakes this defense is going to be put into positions that they do not want to be in and it's going to make them be another I, – I would not be shocked if they drop like three points per game and end up allowing 24 points per game, which is a lot. That's a big difference in statistics. There is a major difference between a defense that only gives up 21 a game and a defense that gives up 24 a game. Auburn gave up 24 a game last year, and a lot of folks complained and griped about that defense not being very good compared to what we were used to seeing in the years before that. There's a big difference between 24 allowed per game and 21 allowed per game because in the games that you're going to hold the the bad teams to low point margins the way that it ends up at 24 is because you gave up a lot against the good teams and I think that's exactly where A&M will be at this year they're going to give up a lot to the good teams because the offense is not going to be doing them any favors by making mistakes giving short fields putting the defense in bad situations just making the defense have to be out there more A&M is vastly overrated if folks are thinking they are going to be remotely near where they were last year because it took them four seasons to even get to that point under Kellen Mond it took them four years you tell me there wasn't another year during that stretch where he didn't have great receivers where he didn't have a good offensive line where he didn't have an okay defense they had that at different points it just took them four years to finally figure it out at the quarterback position for Kellen Mott not to be making mistakes and now they're back at square one 
with Haynes King or whoever they're going to put there. But I'll tell you this, Haynes King's the only guy who threw a pass last year that wasn't named Kellen Mond. You know how many times he did it? Four times. And one of them was a pick. One of them was a touchdown too, but one of them was a pick. I'm telling you, he's batting He's batting 500 there, and that's not good in college football. It's not good if you're <laughs> it's good gonna, at baseball, not not football. It's not good if you if people think you're going to go 10 and two, six and two in the SEC. And I know the skill positions, the supporting cast around him is is going to help. But at the same time, it's like the Joe Burrow situation in Cincinnati. It's like okay, draft Jamar Chase or whoever, whatever receiver you want to get. But Burrow's not going to be able to throw to him if he doesn't have time in the pocket, and you're losing four of those five maroon goons it's like you need somebody to protect Haynes King and he's not Joe Burrow and these are not Jamar Chase and all of these NFL caliber receivers this isn't Nia Smith and Jalen Weidermeyer who is one of those guys as a tight end and neither of them had over 600 yards receiving last season A&M spread the ball around a lot but and they're in Haynes is going to have safety valves but is this offense really going to propel them to 10 wins if their defense is not able to keep up? Because I, I'm right there with you. I think this this defense is going to put, be put in some really tough spots. Also, might I add, they averaged 32.6 points per game last year with a veteran offensive line, a great receiving core, a veteran quarterback, and a solid running back. They had all those pieces last year in that offense. They still only average 32 a game. How much better are they going to get is the question. They're going to get worse. And moving them into the average category of college football, where if they were to, because they were 37th nationally at scoring, I mean, you see them probably drop back to into the 50s. You have to, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like 29 a game. And that's not good because, once again, I go back to what I said about the defense. 29 a game on offense, yeah, you scored against the bad teams, but you know what 29 a game looks like? Just look at Auburn, okay? That's what Auburn looks like. When you play the good teams, you can't score it. It looks ugly. Right. That, that could happen. 29 points per game compared to 24 points allowed per game. I can see a, a, a that's a very Texas A&M-ish yes. stat line. And 8-4 and four or 8-5 and five is right in their wheelhouse. So they're I, more talented than the bad teams on their schedule, so they'll win. But they're not going to... I don't. I, I would put right now, and we talked about LSU a lot in the previous segment, I would put LSU in front of A&M right now, barely, and that's why I don't have LSU as an overrated team on my list. I would put LSU above A&M right now. A lot of that has to do with talent, what they have coming back, and, the, and they're kind of flipped scripts. The LSU offense is a lot further along than the, than the A&M offense, but then the LSU defense is very far behind the – or the LSU defense is very far behind the AM defense. So I, I don't know. They're very close to each other. But I, mm-hmm. for some reason, I have this vibe that I would, I would pick LSU over AM. I completely understand that. Uh, we, uh, we're coming up on a break, so I want to be able to be able to hold off on my number two and my number one. Uh, but I do want to say about AM and LSU, I think they're on very similar tiers. And I think both of them have their issues. And there's a reason why. I have I have A&M on this list and a couple other teams as well. It's because I believe whenever you look at what what Athlon's predicting and I'm sure that there are a lot of other media play, uh, media outlets out there that are predicting similar things, I believe Auburn will finish second or third in the SEC West and I don't see A&M and LSU being over them come season's end. So you think even Ole Miss could finish third? I think so. Maybe. Oh, that's a hot take right there, my man. That's a hot take. I like it though. Let's take a quick break here. We're at the midway point of hour number two. We'll be back in just a few moments.
Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Wednesday edition of the show, talking about the most overrated teams for the 2021 football season. Lance, give me your number two. My number two is LSU. And I understand that you that you you see if anybody's going to fall apart, you could see LSU being over Texas A&M at the end of the season. I think that's fair, but at the same time, I think LSU is still very overrated. And again, we go back to what we were talking about earlier in the show. Athlon has them at five and three, five and three in the SEC, nine and three. And I, I don't think with these coordinators that they have enough gas to finish third in the SEC West. I don't see that happening. I think Auburn is more likely to finish above either LSU or Texas A&M at the end of the season. I think Auburn's going to finish second or third. I can see one of those teams maybe finishing above Auburn, but both of these teams, LSU and A&M, are very overrated in my mind because for LSU, it's the coordinators. I don't think they're going to be able to carry them. And for A&M, it's the players. I don't think that they have enough on the offensive side of the football to keep them going. So your SEC hierarchy that I can see right now maybe is Alabama, Auburn, A and M, LSU, Ole Miss. Yes, I could. And then see, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I could. See, I could see Ole Miss or LSU flopping back and forth. It's going to be interesting. LSU has to play them on the road this season. I think that will be a really fun game. I honestly, to be totally honest with you, I don't care who finishes fourth or fifth in the West. I really don't care about arguing that spot. At the end of the day, that team doesn't really matter. <laughs> but as in terms of like asking, are these teams overrated? And saying that LSU will finish at third, yes, I do think they will finish fourth or fifth. It just depends on what Ole Miss does. See, like I have a hard time saying that like two of the top four teams in the SEC West are overrated. Just something inside me is like, I can't pull the trigger on that. And so LSU does fit a little bit of that category for me, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say Arkansas. And some people out there may be wondering, how can Arkansas be overrated? But there just seems to be this way that people are talking about Arkansas right now in the offseason that they could go to a bowl game this year or that they're going to be much improved under Sam Pittman this year, that they could shock some people. Oh, watch out. They can be a trap game for Auburn. It's like, listen, these guys are not going to a bowl game. thought you were about to go into your Stephen A. Smith impression there. Just listen, <laughs> listen. These guys are not going into – they're not going to make it to a bowl game. This is still – one of the least talented teams, if not the least talented team, in the SEC West. They're sharing that last spot with Mississippi State, especially with the way things have treated for Mississippi State. Just a different change in scheme under Mike Leach. They, they, they honestly don't recruit that well anyway to begin with. I mean, these are the two least talented teams in the SEC West, and they're pretty equal. And whoever wins that bowl game, whoever wins that regular season game, is probably going to a bowl game. And I'm valuing Mississippi State more here in year two than Arkansas right now. But if folks are talking about Arkansas being able to get to a bowl game and let's look at their schedule all right they're going to go at best three and one in non-conference play they're not beating texas all right so you, you got to beat rice georgia southern and arkansas by Pine buff so there's three wins right there can now I, can i ask you a random question go for it if they beat texas week two are they in the top 25 heading into sec play i think they should be i think they should be if you did that like on the random cusp question of it. sorry it's just random question but they're not going to beat texas they won't and they are so at best they're three and one out of non-conference play so now you have to find three sec wins three i challenge you to find three sec wins where you're not like 50 50 on all three where you're like yeah that team's gonna win all three because 
they're gonna they're not more talented than AM. Now they could play AM tough, and I and I do see that as a potential game for AM to struggle if AM, like I said, I've got them on my overrated teams list. If they really are struggling at quarterback and they're have no idea what's going on in terms of their identity on the offensive side of the ball by week four, if they're still struggling with that, yes, I could see a potential upset because we've seen in the past bad Arkansas teams to be able to really challenge AM, but still AM more talented across the board. Then they got to go to Georgia. Loss. Then they got to go to Ole Miss, which we know Ole Miss is more talented, has a whole lot more on the offensive side of the ball. So their first three games are against those teams. And then, by the way, they get to come back at home, but they get to play Auburn. And Auburn, I imagine, will have a chip on their shoulder when they go to play Arkansas because of how many times people have told them about, oh, they didn't deserve to win that game against Arkansas last year. You think they haven't heard that? They've heard that. Arkansas and South Carolina are two teams that I do not think Auburn will lose to. Now, Ole Miss, if you want to put pinpoint a trap game on the Auburn schedule maybe I'll miss but I'm gonna I'm gonna get away from that and get back to Arkansas here so I, I don't see them winning a game in the SEC through their first four games in the SEC schedule then you get to beat Arkansas Pine Bluff and Are you you're sure at, they'll beat Arkansas Pine Bluff yes, yes oh. I am so then you're sitting at what four and at that point no you'd be sitting at three and five at that point after they play Arkansas Pine Bluff going into November they're three and five and November is Mississippi State, LSU, Alabama, and Missouri. Are there three wins in November there? No. Exactly. Two <laughs> no. at best, because they're not going to beat LSU or Alabama on the road. they got to go to LSU and Bama on the road. This team has to play Georgia, Ole Miss, LSU, and Alabama all on the road. They mm. are not going to a bowl game. This is not happening. Mm. I am squashing this right now. Whatever uprising there is right now for folks thinking that Arkansas is going to be a much-improved team, this season in year two under Sam Pittman, I'm going in the other direction. We thought that with Chad Morris. We thought that with Brett Bielema. It's not happening. Not happening. Gardner, Squashing it. Gardner, can you hit us with a woo pig suey? No. Real quick. It's almost more annoying than Roll Tide. I'll <laughs> say that. I've met some really annoying Arkansas fans. Like Alabama fans, I can almost tolerate. Georgia fans, I don't want to be within t- 10 yards of them. Arkansas fans, it's like, ugh, would you just be quiet? Your team is 3-9. and nine. You're terrible stop i think that's going to be the same thing this season i i'm i i i agree with you i think this team is going to struggle to get to a bowl game also with a veteran quarterback they went three and seven last year also arkansas struggled against group of five teams in the past which makes you think that they're not going to struggle against georgia southern i think they're going to beat rice but who who's to say that they don't struggle against georgia southern who is not a terrible sunbelt team no they're not no they're not and my thing is they're breaking in a new quarterback too and K.J. Jefferson showed flashes last year where he looked good, right? And, and he went 20 for 41 last year, so not a great completion percentage, less than 50%, but still went 20 for 41, 295 yards passing, three touchdowns. That Those numbers look great. Sure, those numbers look great. I think those were all against Missouri. Played well, kept Arkansas in the ballgame. My question is, though, first full year, once teams start getting tape on a first full year, though, are they going to be able to make him uncomfortable and make mistakes like players with limited experience do and i he's very few years in the program i i think that 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 is something also working against arkansas here is the quarterback situation with a veteran quarterback the best they could do was three and seven also want to point out that that missouri game missouri gave up almost 30 yeah they gave up 32 points a game last season 246 yards passing that was 84th nationally so it's not like he was doing it against a really good team he came out there after felipe franks was injured and did his job but it wasn't against somebody that was overly impressive and they still lost so what makes you think he's going to be able to get them to a bowl game this season because they have to play like you mentioned ole miss georgia alabama alabama and lsu on the road 
Yeah, so it's not happening. And, and they have to play A&M away from home as well. So, so they have to play A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss, LSU, and Bama all away from Fayetteville. That's brutal. Nobody else, this, may, this is the toughest schedule in the country. End of point. Move on. Your most overrated team. My most overrated team, and I think you disagree with me on this one a little bit, and I think there are some interesting points to be made, and I think there are two sides to look at this rationally. And so I'm willing to give anybody that has a different opinion the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, I can see that perspective as well. I have Florida. Athlon has them going 9-3, and 5-3 and three in the SEC. I don't see that happening. I trust Dan Mullen as a quarterback's coach, but I don't know if he's going to be able to propel Florida past what they were able to do last season. They went 8-4 and four last season. Breaking in a new quarterback, almost no receiver production comes back. It's funny, Athlon has running Florida's running back room ranked higher than Auburn's, but I don't have a single running back on their roster probably within the top 10 of running backs in the SEC returning. I, I find that ridiculous. They, they bring back three, star, yeah, three starters on the offensive line, but I don't think that's enough. They bring back nine total starters on this entire team. You mentioned that during the break. And this defense brings back four starters, and they gave up 31 points last season. How much better are they going to be in a year where they don't have a quarterback to start it out? They get to play Alabama week three. That's going to be really tough. They're going to have to play at LSU. They get Georgia and Jacksonville. It's not, it's not shaping up to be a successful year. And whenever I say successful year, I mean just as successful as last season whenever you've got all these things going against you and you've got three or four SEC East teams on the come up. Who am I talking about? Missouri. You've got Kentucky, who apparently 24-7 sports thinks is going to win the national title. You've <laughs> That's got, a joke. You've, that is a joke. They have them at 9-3. and three. It's still insane. You have Kentucky, or yeah, I'm sorry, you have Tennessee, who has Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel in year one, who is going to score points in that offense, I believe. I don't care that Tennessee doesn't have a running back or receivers. I think Josh Heupel's going to figure it out. They're going to score points. And then you have South Carolina, and it's on the road. That could be a potential trap game for Florida, who couldn't stop a nosebleed last year on defense. That could be fun. I don't see this team going 9-3 and three and being just as good or, or better than last year's SEC championship team. Yeah, the big thing for me is I still like the schedule a lot. They're going to go 4-0 and in non-conference play, which already puts them halfway to that mark that you're wanting them to clear. And, and I don't know if them going 9-3 and three versus 8-4 and four is really enough to call a team overrated or maybe the most overrated in the conference. I don't know if one game's a big difference there. It's second in the SEC East, though. I can see two teams that could potentially usurp them at that spot that, that I think are overrated. underrated. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. I agree with that. I see them losing out. So going through their schedule, they're going to lose to Alabama. They're going to beat Tennessee. They're going to beat Kentucky on the road. Still, I, I, I favor Florida's talent and what they recruit more than Kentucky's Mm -hmm. and I think that already starts their bar a little bit higher than Kentucky Kentucky's going to have to really I'm scared of I I understand we talked about this yesterday at length about Kentucky being able to be a breakout team I get the vibes that people have about that but is the passing game really going to improve that much beyond average because it's been bad non-existent like not not a part of their program the last couple years this year just getting it to average does that really elevate the offense that much I don't know not enough to beat Florida in my eyes so I'm gonna say they beat Kentucky still they beat Vanderbilt they go on the road to LSU that's a game that LSU could win I think so just because it's at home and their ability to score and they won it last year and I think LSU is a little bit better than they were last year 
So let's say they lose to LSU. They've lost to Alabama. They got two losses there. They'll lose to Georgia. There's their third loss. Beat South Carolina, beat Sanford, and then they're on the road to Missouri. And that's the difference maker. Do they go eight and four or nine and three? And I'm not I'm not gonna say that they're overrated if they just finish eight and four, one one game worse than maybe most projections have them at nine and three. I think that's pretty fair. I don't think anybody's saying that Florida's gonna even really be that competitive in the East this year, just kind of be sitting at around second marooned there with the other teams like Missouri and Kentucky and, and things like that maybe even Tennessee if they can strike some gold at quarterback right so that may that completely makes sense right but I'm erring on the side of are one of these teams going to catch them by surprise in the east that want that second spot more than they do and I'm talking specifically about Tennessee Kentucky and Missouri those games that or Florida should be favored in but could just as easily lose and there's a sour taste in that program's mouth after the way the last season ended and they got whooped by Oklahoma and they they lose a lot but the last team I'm going to go with, and I, and I ranked mine in no particular order, I'm going with Ole Miss. Seems to be this opinion that Ole Miss can beat Auburn. and I mean, I guess they could, but it seems to be this opinion that Ole Miss is going to beat Auburn, that Ole Miss could maybe really shock some people, get up to third or maybe even, weirdly enough, like second in the, in the West, be a real surprise team this year. And I'm still not sold on that defense last year. I talk about their schedule a lot last season. They lost to Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, and LSU. Oh, so like all the decent teams they played in the SEC. The teams that they beat, they beat Mississippi State by seven, gave up 42 to South Carolina, but still won. They beat Vanderbilt 54 to 21. That's a travesty that they still gave up 21 to Vanderbilt. And they only beat Kentucky 42 to 41. So they beat below average teams, and they really didn't look that convincing in doing it. And when they got beat, they got beat pretty well 51 to 35 to Florida lost to Alabama of course in, in, in a close game 63 to 48 lost to Arkansas by virtue of six interceptions lost that one 33 to 21 and then they lose to Auburn by seven of course in, in a close ball game there and then they lose to LSU by five now beating Indiana was fun but Indiana also didn't have their starting quarterback in that bowl game and they won 26 to 20 so Ole Miss still not sold on the defense I don't know if it improves past worst in the conference because they were worst in every metric in the conference and outside of the top 100 in every metric defensively in the conference outside of passing defense which was 13th in the SEC but oh by the way that's still ranked 125th nationally so nice. uh, like good for them they weren't last in the SEC but they were almost last in college football I don't know what SEC team was 14th but on the other side of that, though, offensively, they were you know almost first in almost every one or top three in every offensive category in the SEC in terms of yardage. So they've got the offense. I know they're going to be able to score. I still don't buy that the defense can keep them from losing to the teams that are better than them. Something that Zach Blackerby and I, a host of Locked on Auburn, were talking about earlier on his show is that what Ole Miss is going to get this season is attention on Sports Center. They're going to be they're going to be the talk because Lane Kiffin's the head coach and they score a lot of points. It's like, oh, they're really fun to watch. It's like, yeah, well, they're still not that great of a team. They're not they're not good enough to to be third or fourth in the SEC. They're they're not good enough to go eight and four, especially when you look at last season and they were only able to beat the teams that were that were bottom tier in the conference. Do you really think that this team is going to be something special this year? Especially considering that they lose some of those guys that made this offense tick specifically I'm talking about the top two receivers 
and also the defense brings back seven starters but how much is that going to improve from dead last in the conference and how much does that shift them from five wins to eight I don't know so I I, I agree with you I think this team is is some I didn't have them on the list because I do think they're going to be able to score points and that and that that will that will get them to seven ish wins and I could see see them surprising a team and maybe going maybe going eight and four but there is chance there is potential there for them to 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 go six and six or or underachieve and i i think it's fair to say that they're overrated let's take a quick break here and when we come back we wrap up the show you're listening to on the line On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Dahl with you. The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up at 4 as they do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. ABC has a game show lineup with Press Your Luck at 7, The $100,000 Pyramid at 8, and Card Sharks at 9. Some movie selections for tonight, Saving Private Ryan is on BBC at 7. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds star in The Proposal at 6.30 on Freeform. Get your laughs in with back-to-back showings of Spy on FX Movies at 5.40. In live sports, it's the beginning of the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Playoffs with Game 1 between the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks at 7.30 on TV. One College World Series game is on tonight with an elimination game between Stanford and Vanderbilt at 6 on ESPN. In the MLB, the Los Angeles Dodgers take on the San Diego Padres at 9 on ESPN. The NHL playoffs continue with the Stanley Cup semifinal between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. The Lightning take a 3-2 lead into Game 6 at 7 on NBCSN. Copa America is in full swing in the soccer world with a Group B match between Colombia and Brazil at 7 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Got about three minutes left in the show. Let's talk about the Eastern Conference Finals getting started tonight between the Bucks and the Hawks. What are the things that you're keying on, keying in on tonight? So the 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 future national champions, Atlanta Hawks, are going to have to do a couple of things tonight in order to get this fat dub against the Bucks. One of them is obviously going to be stopping Giannis. The Bucks, I believe, are favored by eight. Didn't you tweet the other night that you're now a Phoenix Suns fan? I am now a Phoenix Suns fan. So why are you why are you rooting for the Hawks? Because I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you you had to break me down there. I had to be honest. I just think it's funny. But I think they've got to be able to stop Giannis because this offense does kind of flow through him. There are there are guys around Giannis that can score. Looking at Chris Milton, Drew, Drew Drew Holiday. But I think if you shut Giannis down, you're going to have a really good chance because Atlanta doesn't play defense very well but offensively they're going to have to if they click as a team they'll be able to beat the Bucks if, if Giannis doesn't have a good night big thing that I'm keying in on is how do they manage Giannis do they opt to go the route of let's isolate him and take him out of the game which I think is going to be difficult because you don't have anybody that can do that but likewise do you have enough on the defensive end to be able to stop the four other players on the floor that are around him I I, I don't know which is tougher because the Bucks have a complete roster this is not just Giannis they are a complete basketball team. So I'm curious how they manage them. I think that that will be interesting to see. The next thing that I'm interested to see, this is a fun matchup. Drew Holiday is one of the better defenders in the NBA. And Drew Holiday taking on Trey Young. Trey Young is the key for the Hawks. If Trey Young isn't scoring, 
at you know uh, up and around 30 points in a, a game and also distributing you know more than you know 10 assists. I mean he's gonna have to go like 30 and 10 I feel like for the Hawks to win this series. Young's lone appearance against the Bucks this season came during a 120-109 loss in Atlanta on April 15th. Young finished the game 3-for-17 from the oh, field with no. 15 points, 9 assists, and 2 rebounds. It was the seventh time Young has faced Milwaukee in his career, and he's not been great in any of them. He's averaging 18.9 points per game against Milwaukee, shooting 36.3% from the field and 29.7% from three. Compare those to his averages, 24.1 points per game, 43% from the field, and 34% from three. They, the Bucks know how to stop Trey Young. Also, degree of difficulty tonight. If the Hawks do win tonight, what does it look like? Like, did they throw their best shot? Like, did they have to throw everything? Did it look like it was a superhuman effort? Was it really difficult for them to get the win? Or did they look like they were in control and they held their own? Or did they just barely give out? Because if that's the case, then they stole one in game one. If they look comfortable, then, all right, we've got a series. What does it look like tonight? Then on the flip side, if the Bucks have a hard time getting to game one getting to a game one win what does that tell you about the series was it just an off night or are the hawks really in this thing or do the bucks just dominate that that there's so much to take away from this first game and i'm looking forward to watching if the hawks win we uh, this first game it's going to be interesting because i thought i asked the same question when they played philly i was like oh my goodness are they just overachieving apparently they weren't that's it for the wednesday edition of on the line drive with bill cameron coming up after us We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.